right, good morning. How's everybody doing? My land, you look good today. You look great. You should be up here looking at you. You look amazing. I always think that 1130 service is the best looking service. You guys might be in the running. Hi, Jim. Hey, big hello to everybody in Palm Bay in Deland and everybody watching online. So glad you guys are here. Uh, if you guys want to get your Bibles ready, we're going to be in Acts 7 today. Uh, one of the longest chapters there in the book of Acts as we continue our story. When we were here last time, Joe preached an amazing sermon last week about being a servant. And he said, right, in, 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 his, in his sermon that there's only one job, right? There's only one role. There's only one place available here at Tomoka, and that's the job of a servant. And so with the needs that had risen in the church in Jerusalem, with the tens and tens and tens and thousands of people, raised up these men to oversee this ministry to make sure that people were being fed. And one of those men was named Stephen. And Stephen, according to scripture, was full of the Holy Spirit. And as you read through the book or through the, the sixth chapter of the book of Acts, you find out that Stephen was doing some amazing things. Not only was he performing miracles, but when confronted with questioning from the Jewish leaders, he out debated them all to the point that they grew incredibly frustrated with Stephen and wanted to have him done away with. And we read these verses in the chapter, chapter six of Acts, starting in verse 11, it says, they secretly persuaded some men to say this about Stephen. We've heard Stephen speak words of blasphemy against Moses and against God. I just want to say real quick, listen, if you don't want people to come at you, complain about you, especially in the church, listen, there's an easy answer for that. Just don't do anything. Because if you're going to do anything for the Lord, somebody's going to criticize you. Amen? Somebody's going to come after you. And so these men went after Stephen and says, so they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and they brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified. And here's what they said. This fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we've heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change and will change the customs Moses handed down to us. Listen, and when people complain about you, especially when you're doing something for God, some of the stuff they say is going to be a lie. It's just not going to be true as it was with Stephen. It says that he did this before the Sanhedrin. I want you to check out this picture. So the Sanhedrin was the ruling body of the Israelites, okay? When it came to civil, when it came to criminal, when it came to religious, right, jurisdiction, the Sanhedrin held it. 71 people probably made up the Sanhedrin, of which the high priest was the leader of the Sanhedrin. So when it came to the Jews and it came to authority, they were like the Supreme Court Justice of the United States. These men ruled with an iron fist. And their place... Right? And this is a drawing of, of what was called the Hall of Hewn Stones. Right? Inside the, outside of the temple was a courtyard, and on the wall of the courtyard was this place. Hewn out of stone for the Sanhedrin to be near the temple because being near the temple gave them more authority. And it's into this environment that Stephen stands as the accused before these people. And in Acts chapter 7, he begins to make his defense. And Acts 7 records what we say is a long sermon. 
It only takes you about seven minutes to read it. I'm going to preach a lot longer than that today, okay? Just so we're clear, okay? But when reading it is a long chapter. But in that, Stephen does an amazing thing in chapter 7. And that is he tells God's story. He tells God's story. Because I've said this a million times. We say it over and over again. Listen, this book, this book is the story of God. It's not yours. It's not mine. This is God's story. And Stephen tells that story in Acts chapter 7. What I want to do this morning uh, for everybody in Palm Bay to land it online and right here in Ormond, I just want to, I just want to pick out some of the highlights of the story that Stephen tells here in Acts chapter 7. So here's the first highlight, right? Well, let me, let me do this first. Let me do this first, right? So story, story matters. How many of you like reading stories, watching stories, watching TV shows about stories? How many of you love a good story, right? Listen, we all love a story, right? So when I was growing up, people made fun of me a lot because of my name, Court, right? I got called all kinds of names. Some of them I can't say here, right? But I got, but I got made fun of a lot. And so I asked, asked my mom one day, who named me? And she said, well, your dad named you. All right. So I asked my dad, where in the world did you come up with the name Cord? Right? Because people would ask me all the time, is it short for something? And then they'd be a jerk and say something mean. Right? He said, no, I named you after a character in a book that I read called Cord the Gunfighter. All right. Sounded made up to me, but I was going to go with it. Right? So when Joe and I were in Bible college, we loved, loved, loved books. I mean, we would go everywhere we could to find a good book. And one day we found ourselves in downtown St. Louis on Washington Avenue at a four-story dilapidated, dilapidated building, and it was a bookstore. And, of course, we went in, and we spent hours rummaging through that, that bookstore. And on the fourth floor of this old, abandoned, nearly abandoned bookstore, I found this. Yep. A real book, a real book about a guy named Court. Check this out. It's, to this day, it's my favorite story, right? Here's, here's the overview of what, of what this, this is about. For the first time in years, Court and Kai aren't wanted by the law. Thank you, Jesus, right? <laughs> Already right on point, okay? So saddled up with Kai's recent poker winnings, the light out, they light out for a life of genteel ranching on a spread court had always been fixing to acquire. But they hit a detour in Paradise Valley where the notorious Eudora Craven has holed up with her two mean-tempered sons against a band of hard riders bent on settling blood for blood. What a story, right? Goes on to say that holding out Right, or hiding out with Eudora and her boys is Aerosmith, a dying gunslinger who long ago saved Kai's life. And now he was calling in the debt. Can a woman go with the wrong side, but for the right reasons? Kai makes the tough choice, and with all the authority she needs to back it up, a sharp shooting partner named Cord. <laughs> all right? <laughs> what? That's still my favorite story. Now, Joe was here last night and he reminded me after, afterwards that his name, Joseph, happens to be found in the Bible, not a Western, okay? <laughs> so that's what 40 years of friendship gets you, right? But, but that's, that's my story. That's where my name came from. And so that's, listen, that story means a lot to me and it meant more to me 
The moment my life intersected with that book that I still own, right? When my story intersected with that story, it matters to me. It matters to me. And of all the books that I have, it's the one that I treasure the most because it tells me something about my story that I didn't know before. Listen, story is an important thing. And here's the amazing thing about story. When stories collide, when they intersect, some amazing things can happen. And that's what God, that's what Stephen shares here in Acts chapter 7. He shares about God's story. But more importantly, what he shares is what happens when we as human beings intersect with God's story. So here's the first highlight I want to cover. And that's this. When it comes to God's story, he always has a person and not a place. He always has a person and not a place. And so what it says in Acts chapter 7. This is Stephen before the Sanhedrin, right? That group of 71 people, right? He says to this, these accusations, he replies, brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia, Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. He said, leave your country and your people and go to the land that I'm going to show you. Because the patriarchs were... So, so God calls Abraham. We've never heard of Abraham before. And it says that God called him and said, go, go here and I'm going to be with you. And verse 9 it says, because the patriarchs were jealous of Joseph, they sold him, right? The brothers sell him as a slave in Egypt. Everybody read this with me. Everybody in Palm Bay, the land online here in Norman. Everybody read this last sentence with me. But was with him. Listen, God's plan, God's plan always has a person and not a place. And go on down there, um, go down there to the, to the end of those verses in verse 48 and 50. And here's what Stephen says at the end of this. He says, however, the most high, listen to this, the most high does not live in houses made by men. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or where will my resting place be? Listen, I, how many of you were, were, were part of Tomoka here in Orman when we were on Granada? Right? Man, I love that place. How many of you love that place? Yeah, I love that place. Listen, when we moved over here, there were people who were like, I'm not going. I'm staying in this place. Right? This place means a lot. And listen, it meant a lot to me. I mean, I was only there for four years, but it felt like home. And I thought, <clears throat> never going to like this place. And here we are eight years later. Right? And I love this place. Places come and places go, but somehow and some way in, a ch- in the church world, right? In the, re- in the world of religion, we've made places a lot more prominent than people. So we have an amazing place here. We have an amazing building that is able to do amazing things. We saw almost 2,000 people here on Friday night for the Easter Gala, right? Yeah, absolutely. We served over 600 children and got to share the resurrection story of Jesus with them. We have an amazing place. But let, let me tell you this. Listen, God's plan never been about a place. It's always been about a person. It's always been about Abraham. It's always been about Isaac or Jacob or Moses or Joseph, right? God's plan is always about a person and not a place. And here's what that means for you. Listen, we live in a world today where people are searching. Listen, people are dying 
because they can't find meaning and purpose and value in life. Listen, some of you sitting in here, some of you in Palm Bay, the land and online, you've been looking, you've been looking, what's my meaning? What's my purpose? What's my value? What's my identity? Right? Nobody cares for me. Listen, let me tell you something. Your life is never, never going to have the value that it's worth, the identity that God intended until your story intersects with God's story. Listen, you can search. Listen, you can search. Listen, you're smart people. You're smart people. All of you online and in Palm Bay, the land, we're smart people. Look what's happening. Listen, we're driving our kids insane to find purpose and meaning and value, right? You've got to have the right career. You've got to have the right this. You've got to have the right that. Listen, God's story, when it intersects with your story, reminds you that God's always been much more concerned about a person than he was about a place, right? Esther, the book of Esther, right? The only book in scripture where the word God is not mentioned tells an amazing God story of a little Jewish girl, right? Of a little Jewish girl who happens to become the queen simply because she was beautiful. And all of a sudden she's made aware of a plot to have all the Jews assassinated. And what's she going to do? This little Jewish girl didn't bargain for any of this. And Mordecai, her uncle, says to her in Esther chapter 4 and verse 12, How do you know? How do you know you haven't been raised up for such a time as this? Listen, God's plan has always been about a person and not a place. And so if you're here today wondering, okay, what am I supposed to be doing? What's my life? Let me tell you something, right? We, we want to be a part of helping you. Because listen, it's a legitimate question. Not everybody is fortunate to be 18 years old and, and basically be told by God, listen, this is what I want you to do the rest of your life. For some of you, it's a struggle, which is why, starting in May, we're launching our Discover Tomoka class. And what we want you to understand is this. Listen, when your story and God's story intersect here, it's amazing what God's going to be able to do with you. And so we're going to be announcing that over the next coming weeks about Discover Tomoka, where you can share your story. You can hear God's story and you can see what can happen when your story intersects with God's story. And for those of you that are here, Palm Bay, the land online, that have already had your story intersect with God's story, let me remind you something. That because God is more about a person than a place, listen, we shouldn't be saying things like this. God has left our schools. No, they haven't. If you want to, if you want to know what God's doing in a school, go down to Palm Bay and hang with Pastor David and his team as they go to school after school after school and their community doing what? Taking God into the school every single day. Listen, don't tell me God's absent from the school, right? How many of you are school teachers in here? Let me see your hands. Listen, there are schools represented. How many of you in Palm Bay, Delane Online are school teachers? Everywhere you go, because God's story is about a person and not a place. God's in schools all across America. Elementary schools and middle schools and high schools. Listen, if God's with you, you're there. Listen to 1 Corinthians six nineteen, Just so you can be reminded. Do you know or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Who is what? Who is in you? And you've received from God. You're not your own. Therefore, you were bought with a price. Honor God with your body. And here's what it says in Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body. He said, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me 
and gave himself up for me. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So if you're at the hospital working, if you're a firefighter, an EMT, a police officer, a school teacher, an engineer, just a parent, wherever you're at, because God's more concerned with a person than a place, God's right there. It's why we go all over the world. It's why we take mission trips to Africa and to Guatemala. It's why we go to Egypt. It's why we go to all of these places. Why? Because God cares about people more than he cares about a place. And if your story has intersected with God's story and you've become a part of that story, listen, wherever you go, God's always there. Amen? Right? God's plan is about a person, not a place. Your life won't have any meaning and it won't have the purpose and the value intended by God until those stories intersect. Here's the second highlight of Stephen's defense and that's this. That is that God's story always has a plan, not a problem. God's story always has a plan and not a problem. I didn't watch this show in the 80s, but a lot of people did. Um, I watched it maybe once or twice. It wasn't really my thing. How many of you remember this show from the 80s? All right. How many of you watched the 18? All right. I, I, I knew almost all of the Saturday night crowd watched it. They're... They're a little weird compared to you guys, okay? So, but this was the A-team, right? This is where Mr. T became sort of famous, right? Between that and the Rocky shows. But this was it. This man here in the middle's name is George Papard. He played a character in there called Colonel Hannibal Smith. He was the leader of the A-team. Right? He was the guy that looked at the story or looked at the situations, and he was the one that always put a plan together. And how many of you remember his famous, his famous catchphrase? I what? Love it when a plan comes together. Right? That was his famous phrase. I love it when a plan comes together. How many of you love it when a plan comes together? Yeah. Surveys, surveys taken say that most, almost eight out of 10 people, almost eight out of 10 of you Love it when a plan comes together, right? You got your meal plan on your fridge, right? You're the kind of people that when you write out a grocery list, you never veer from it, right? You love it when a plan comes together. Here's the problem. Plans don't often come together, do they? Right? They just don't come together very often, right? This man here. This is a picture of Joe when he was in high school. <laughs> sorry, sorry. No, this is, uh, I said that last night without even thinking and he was sitting right over there. So this is Robert Burns. Robert Burns is a Scottish poet, right? England had Shakespeare and Scotland had Robert Burns. And Robert Burns wrote a poem, not a really well-known poem, right? It was a poem called To a Mouse. Right? It's the poem from which Steinbeck basically took and wrote the book of Mice and Men. And in the poem to a mouse, Robert Burns writes of a mouse who works and plans and schemes to build a nest for he and his family. And tells the story of a farmer named Robbie who, while plowing his field one day, tears up the nest. And to a mouse is written to basically say to the mouse... From a farmer, hey, I'm really sorry. 
I'm really sorry for what I did, but here's what you need to know, because here's the famous line from the poem, right? The best laid plans of mice and men can and still go wrong, right? It came from that poem. Because here's the thing, as much as we love when a plan comes together, how often does a plan come together? The reality is the world is so chaotic and life can be so chaotic that we, listen, we get so freaked out that we often identify so many things in our life as problems. I mean, think about it. How many times have you used the word problem to describe a situation in your life, your kid's life, at work? How many times have you used the word problem to describe a situation over the last week? 10, 15, 20, 25? For some of you, that's all you talk about. Oh, I've got this problem. I got this problem. I got this problem, right? The reality is this, that even though we love it when a plan comes together, we struggle mightily, right, when it doesn't. And here's what happens. We think that because we've got a problem, God's got a problem. Here's what I want you to know. God's story never has a problem. It's always got a purpose. Listen to what Stephen says in verse 11. He says this. A famine struck all Egypt and Canaan, bringing great suffering, and our fathers couldn't find food. When Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent our fathers on the first visit. On their second visit, Joseph tells his brothers who he was, and Pharaoh learns about Joseph's family. The boys that threw him in a pit and sold him to the Egyptians, right to the, to the gypsies, he's now in charge of the food. And they're going to go there to beg for food. And it says, after this, Joseph sent for his father Jacob and his whole family, 75 folks in all. And Jacob went down to Egypt where he and our fathers died. So he takes the entire family to Egypt and they live there till they die. The bodies were brought back to Shechem, placed in the tomb that Abraham had bought from the sons of Ham or, at, or Hamar at Shechem for a certain amount of money. As time drew near for God to fulfill his promise to Abraham, the number of people in Egypt greatly increases. It goes from 75 people to over 2 million people by best estimates. And here's what happens. Another king who didn't know anything about Joseph became the ruler of Egypt. And here's what he did. He deals treacherously with these people, oppresses them by forcing them to throw out their babies, right? To throw their babies so that they would die because they didn't need them to grow anymore. Kill all of these babies. Kill the male babies. It says that, and at that time, listen, when all hope was lost in, in the nation of Israel, what happens? At that time, what? Moses was born. You know the story of Moses. God uses him to do what? To rescue the nation of Israel from slavery. Listen, over and over and over again in Scripture, here's what you read. People's stories, your stories, folks in Palm Bay, the land online, our stories have lots of problems. Amen? Lots of them. Some of you, it's, it's fortunate you're even here today because your, your, your life and your story has lots of problems. The reality is this, no matter what you're going through, no matter what your story's problems are, when your story intersects with God's story, God isn't about problems, he's about a plan. You see, we think that some of the things that, listen, I went through this, I went to Bible college and then blink out of Bible college, my life goes completely off the rail. It completely doesn't live up to the plan. 
Within, within two months of graduating college, I'm without a, without a wife, without a kid, without a home, without a job, and I just buried a son. All of that happens within two months of leaving Bible college. None of it of my own doing. And all of a sudden, life goes off the rails, and I'm stuck. I've studied the Bible for four years. I've surrendered to God and said, okay, I've got a plan. And within two months of graduation, that plan is completely blown up. And I am lost because I have no idea how God's going to overcome it. And for seven years, for seven years after that, I struggled to figure out how does God work when your life and your story is full of nothing but problems. And here's what I learned. When your story intersects with God's story, God's never incapacitated by your problems. Because he's always got a plan. He's got a plan. Whether you're in slavery for 400 years and you wait and then Moses gets born. Or whether you're Joseph and your brothers are so jealous of you, they throw you in a pit and sell you to gypsies and then lie to daddy and say a bear mauls you. All I know is this, that whatever your problems are, they're not beyond God's plan. They're all redeemable. Listen to what happened to Joseph's story and what he says about his problems in light of God's story. In Genesis 50, it says this. His brothers, Joseph's brothers, came and threw themselves before him. Dad's dead. They're no longer protected by daddy. Now they got to deal with what they did to their brother because he's now the bigwig in Egypt. And they throw themselves before him and they say this, we're your slaves. Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Listen to what he says. You intended this thing that you did to me to harm me for bad. But God intended it for what? For good. Why? To accomplish what is now being done. Which is what? The saving of many lives. You see, we so often, listen, I don't know what you're going through. Maybe you're going through a divorce today. Right? Maybe you're going through a situation with your children. Or your grandchildren. Or maybe you've got a situation at work. Or maybe there's a financial problem. Right? Or maybe there's an issue. You name it. And you're, you're telling your friends and you're, you're talking on Facebook and you're talking about your problems. Listen, all you gotta do is slip on a TV or open an, a, an app. Our world has got problems. Right? Listen, I don't care if you pick the left side of the aisle or the right side of the aisle. Everybody's gonna say, say the same thing. We got a problem. Listen, the reality is this. When it's God's story intersecting with your story, to God it's not a problem. Because He's always got a plan. You might be freaking out going, oh man, we are spiraling down the tube, right? We are going down the drain as a nation. Listen, let me assure you of something. No matter what it feels like to you, and no matter what it feels like to me, in God's sight, this ain't a problem. It's just a part of a plan. And the reality is, for you and I, for you and I, we need to anchor ourselves to God's story so that we don't freak out about these problems. Listen, too many of, listen, too many of us, too many of you here, too many online, too many in Palm Bay and the land, we're, we're overtaken every day by the negative narrative of a story of nothing but problems in our world. And listen, I get it. I get it. There are some bad things happening in our world today. But because God's more important, God's story is all about a person and not a place. I know this, that no matter what's going on in the world and no matter where it's at, God's got people right there. Because his plan is always greater than the problem. I don't care what it is. And listen, just so we're clear, right? 
Just so we're clear, when Stephen makes his defense or gives his speech before the Sanhedrin, the church in Jerusalem is several, several thousand people, right? Easily up to 50,000 to 100,000 people in this church in Jerusalem. Here's the problem. When Jesus left the boys in charge, he said this to them. I'm going to make you my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the other parts of the earth. Here's the problem. They hadn't even left Jerusalem yet. They were just standing there. And guess what? One of their famous preachers gets murdered. These people kill Stephen in spite of the Roman law that says they weren't allowed to impose capital punishment. And they did anyway. They could have freaked out. Listen, the church could have collapsed. The church could have said, this is beyond our scope. Our first martyr. We're just trying to serve Jesus and they kill one of our own. It could have seemed like an overwhelming problem. But listen to what happens at the end of Acts 7. Just to remind you, no matter what you or I label as a problem, God's always about a plan. Acts chapter 7 verse 51 says this. Stephen calls these people who are listening, stiff-necked people, uncircumcised hearts and ears. You're just like your fathers. He said, you're always resisting the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your fathers didn't persecute? They even killed those who predicted, right? The coming of the righteous one. And now you've betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was put into effect through angels, but have not obeyed it. When they heard this, they were furious and they gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looks to heaven and sees the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, those 71 people in that hall of hewn stones, it says they covered their ears, they yell at the top of their voices, and they all rush down at Stephen. They drag him out of the city, begin to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses to this murder lay their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. It was a devastating issue. And what did God do with it? Look at what Acts chapter 8 verse 1 says. Acts chapter 8 verse 1 reminds you and me, right? Reminds you and me. Listen, God isn't incapacitated by problems. Because in Acts 8 1 it says this. Saul was there. We know Saul is who? Paul. The apostle Paul was right there giving approval to the death of Stephen. On that day. What day? The day that Stephen gets killed. The day that the church in Jerusalem faced its biggest problem ever. What happens? A great persecution breaks out against the church. And look what happens. It happens in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered where? Judea and Samaria. What did God say? You're going to be by witnesses where? In Jerusalem and what? Judea and Samaria. Listen, the reality is this. You might be going through some terrible ordeal. We're not minimizing that. We're not saying it's not hard. It's not painful. It's not unfair. But what I'm saying is this. When your story intersects with God's story, we don't have to keep calling it a problem. All of your life, all of my life, no matter what you're going through, when it intersects with God's story, it's all a part of a plan. And there is nothing, listen, there is nothing you're going through right now that is not redeemable to the story of God. Does that make sense to you, church? 
Listen, we've got to stop focusing so much on the problems of our world and start focusing on a God who's got a plan that includes those things. Do you believe that God knows everything? Right? If you believe that God knows everything, do you think God is surprised by what's happening in our world? No, he's not surprised. If God knows it all, he's not surprised. And if he's not surprised that he knows it all, he's always had a plan. And nothing, nothing you're doing, nothing your children are doing, nothing that our politicians are doing, nothing that's happening in this world is beyond the scope of a God who always has a plan. Here's what Proverbs says for you and me. Proverbs 16.9 says, In a heart, in his heart a man plans his course, but the Lord is the one who determines the steps. Right? Proverbs 19.21, Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. Right? How about this one in Proverbs 16.3? Commit to the Lord whatever you're doing, and your what? Plans will succeed. Listen, for some of you, the biggest problem you got is that you got all these plans you haven't committed to any other than the Lord, right? We want the kind of God that says, listen, we love, I love you, I want to bless you, and I want your plan to be the most important plan. So we steal verses like the one from Psalm 37. Didn't the Bible say that God was supposed to grant me the desires of my heart? Listen, your plan is never more important than God's plan. Come on, somebody say amen. It's not more important, right? Proverbs 3 tells us, right? Proverbs 3 tells us what to do. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he'll make your path straight. Listen, God's story always, always, always has a plan, not a problem. Amen? Here's the last one. God's story always points to Jesus and not to you. God's story always points to Jesus and not to you. This is my newest granddaughter I've showed you before, but I just have to show you another picture of her because she's two months old. Oh, right. They just mentioned my name and that's what she looked like, right? She's so happy, right? But that's Adeline, Adeline Rose, right? She's two months old. She was two months old this weekend. They, Japheth and Brittany took her home to Ohio. Uh, for a weekend to visit her mom and dad and to see family. And so they roll in on Thursday night, right? They roll in on Thursday night and they meet, you know, it's Greenville. It's a small town. It's like Mayberry. Everybody knows everybody. So Japheth and Brittany roll into town. She was raised there. Her dad was the mayor there. Japheth served as a pastor there for five years. So it was a homecoming and everybody meets at the one big restaurant in Greenville and they're all just, ooh, ah, ooh, ah, right? Japheth calls us on Friday and says, man, me and Brittany learned an important lesson yesterday. All right, what happened? Well, we took Adeline and completely trashed her schedule, he said. We took her to the restaurant and we stayed there and people came and people went and she cried and she screamed and it was tough. And after about three hours of that, he said, Brittany looked at me with tears in her eyes and said, Japheth, you've got to get me out of here. And Japheth said within three minutes, he had, he said, I had the baby and the car packed and we were leaving the restaurant going home. He said, and when we got home, the problem was this. He said, we had so disrupted Adeline's schedule for our desire to hang with all these people that she was inconsolable. He said, she was so tired and so off kilter that she screamed for an hour before we could ever calm her down. He says, here's what we learned. Adeline's schedule is the most important schedule in the world to us now, right? Right? That we're no longer making making our schedule her schedule. 
Everybody laughs like, we've been there, right? Like, like, see, here's the thing. And I, and I can't, and I can't hang here long because we got, we got to get out of here. Listen, here's what you need to know. God's story is an amazing story. And when your story intersects with God's story, it's even more amazing because God cares a lot more and always has cared about people more than a place. Listen, this church is an amazing thing. Invite people to come to Easter. Let them hear the story of Jesus. But God isn't in this place unless you're in this place. God cares about you. God's invested in you. You're his plan A. And so if you're looking for meaning and purpose and value in this world, listen, you're only going to find it. You're only going to find it when your story intersects with God. And listen, I don't know what you're going through, but I know that if you're watching the news and watching the TV, you could be sitting at home thinking, man, our world is out of control. No, it's not. No, it's not. Because our God is bigger than all of these problems and all of this stupidity. Our God is bigger than it. Guess what? It's all redeemable in the plan of God. And so I don't know what little problem you're going through in your life in comparison to the large world picture view, but I can guarantee you this, because God's story never has a problem and always has a plan, commit your ways to the Lord. Amen, church? But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, the only thing that mattered to Stephen in God's story was this. This story is about Jesus and not about you. The story is about Jesus and not about you. It's not about what you want in church. It's not about what I want in church. It's not about, hey, I think the music's too loud or the lights are too bright or the services aren't long enough. We need longer preaching, right? Amen, right? I'm sorry, sorry. Working out my own issues, right? Right? But the reality is this. Listen, this isn't about you. Just like Japheth and Brittany learned about their little, beautiful, two-month-old daughter. It's not about them. It's about something else. And God's story, listen, God's story always points, always points to Jesus. Always has. And listen, I'm not talking about, this isn't about you, this is about Jesus, as if you don't matter. I already talked about that in point one. You matter. You matter. All your value and meaning comes when your story intersects with God. But in light of God's story, this is always going to be about Jesus. And what does God say about Jesus? He says this, that at every, every need, Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess what? That this has always been about Jesus. And so here's the thing. You can do it now or you can do it then. That's all there is. At the end of the day, when my daughters ask me, why do you believe in this stuff? This is why. Because at the end of the day, every knee is going to bow. And every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You can do it now or you can do it then. And I just choose to do it now. And I want you to choose that now. And so whether you're in Palm Bay or Deland, listen, if you're in Palm Bay, Deland, and you need to make that decision, David's in Palm Bay, Ben's in Deland, their teams are there. If you're online, there's a button. A button says, I have decided, push it. If you're here in Ormond, right up front, there'll be people up here to the right of the stage, our decision team, to help you walk through that. Listen, I want you to find meaning and value because I want you to know that God's plan is about people and not about places. I want you to stop being so negative and overwhelmed with the mess of our world, acting as if it's beyond God's scope. It's not. But at the end of the day, I want more than anything. I don't want anybody to walk out of here, out of Palm Bay to land, or click offline without knowing this story is about Jesus. It's about Jesus. In John chapter 6, Jesus makes a speech to his disciples. And in it, he says some weird things that if you're new to church, you might think is strange. 
Well, welcome to church. Here's what he said. Jesus said to these people, I tell you the truth, unless you eat my flesh, right? Unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you've got no life in you. Now, if you're new to church, you're going, what is this place? Right? Right. Hang in there. Whoever eats my flesh, drinks my blood, has eternal life, and I'm going to raise him up on the last day. We're not talking about vampire stuff, okay? He says, for my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh, drinks my blood, remains in me, and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came from heaven. Your fathers ate manna, right? They ate physical bread in the wilderness and died. He says, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. Listen to what happened. When these people heard that this was about Jesus and not about them, because they'd just been fed, they chased Jesus down and they wanted to be fed again. It's all they wanted. I want my story to be the most important story, Jesus. We're hungry. It's a new day. Feed us again. Snap your fingers and feed 5,000 more of us. My story is the most important story. And Jesus said, no, it's not. My story is the only one that gives eternal life. He says on hearing this, many of his disciples said this. That's a hard teaching. Who can accept it? From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Listen, at the end of the day, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus and you want your story to intersect with the story of God, you're going to have to know this. God's story always points to Jesus and not to you. This is about Jesus. And I want you to make this about Jesus. We want you to make this about Jesus. Whether it's in an initial confession or whether it's in a recommitted life to Jesus. Because what did Jesus say? He said, if you're going to be my disciple, you're going to have to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. Man, we love Jesus. We love carrying the cross. But there's a first priority. And that's this. You've got to stop making this about you and make this about Jesus. Amen, church? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for... um, I just want to thank you for never being overwhelmed by what's going on in the world today. That even when Stephen was killed and the church could have freaked out and just stopped, they didn't. They didn't because your plan was at work and they scattered to Judea and Samaria. And even the young man named Saul became a part of the plan to make sure that the gospel went to the whole world. God, remind us, all of us, that you're not surprised and you're not overwhelmed. And if we'll simply commit our ways to you, right, you'll bless those plans. And God, thank you for making this story about your son. And so ultimately, Lord, I pray for anybody who's feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit to not leave here, to not leave Palm Bay, not leave DeLand, and not leave online by being stiff-necked and hard of hearing. Father, break those hearts of stone and turn them into hearts of flesh. We pray today in Jesus' name. Amen.